WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. Two years ago this week, Charlotte reported its first case of COVID-19. Since then, it's been a sad, frustrating, and at times maddening time. Nowhere is that more true than in our schools. Starting Monday, Charlotte Mecklenburg schools will be mask optional. We're going to speak to a teacher coming up in just a few minutes, get his perspective. But first, joining us today, CMS board member Rhonda Cheek. Rhonda, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Oh, great to be here. All right, so what do you expect Monday to be like uh, for CMS schools? Well, I think we're going to see a lot of smiles, the smiles we haven't been able to see for some time. Um, and I say that with the full understanding that um, many people are still very concerned and, and feel that they should wear masks. And I respect that choice if they make that choice to wear them. Um, I think we're going to see a mix of masks and unmasked staff and children. Uh, you push for masks optional to happen sooner than this. Um, do you think this is, uh, is way too late? You know, there was no reason for us not to go mask optional when the county health department, um, you know, the county lifted their mandate. We, we probably... I, I, in my mind, we should have gone ahead and just started this Monday. And, and what is your message to teachers, um, uh, some of whom have said that they don't want this mask mandate lifted? Um, what do you say to them? You know, I think we have been talking for two years about follow the data, follow the, um, the national experts. Um, I'm not one, but our local health department says it is safe to lift the mandate. The CDC now is lifting mandates. The across the nation is lifting mandates. And, and I do respect and, and, and empathize with those that still have concerns. Um, potentially, maybe they have someone um, in their home or themselves that is immunocompromised or at high risk. So it's completely fine for me if um, for them to be wearing a mask. That's how they're going to keep themselves safe. Um, but it's time to also respect the rights of those that are not at high risk and are, can safely, safely work without masks on. How did this become so political? Um, in the last two years. It, it's unlike anything I've ever seen is, of course, not just CMS. I mean, this is a, a thing happening across the country. How did it get to this point? You know, I, I, I love social media. It's a lot of fun. Um, but I do think that, that um, Dr. Facebook and, um, you know, Nurse Instagram have shared a lot of information with people that may not be accurate. Um, and so I think there's just been so much information out there some accurate, some grossly inaccurate um, that have really gotten people kind of whipped up um, would be the best way to describe it. Um, I think that people and, and, you know, your health and your own health journey is a very emotional topic and the health of your children, the safety of your children, the academic success of your children. Um, I, I was told by um, former House of Representatives um, Sue Myrick um, when she was retiring, she told me that the hardest job that she could ever imagine is being on the school board or being involved in schools because parents are very emotional about what happens with their children and rightly so. Um, what, what do you think we have learned over the last two years? Well, gosh, I think one thing we've learned is that adaptability is, is the key, um, that we have to be open and um, in tune with new information when you're dealing with something that is unfolding in front of you and in with the, you know around you you have to really be open and adaptable what we thought we knew about covid um coronavirus 19 and all those things 
um, in March and April of 2020 is vastly different than what we know now. And, and I think that this has taught us that science moves quickly and we need to move quickly with it. Let's say you're the boss. Um, what you say goes, it's just that simple, it's that easy. Uh, what would you have done differently in the last two years? Um, I think I would have taken the pause. I think we needed that pause when we you know, shut things down briefly, um, but I think I would have opened things back up pretty quickly. Um, you know, we, there's a lot of misinformation about um, what, what really has helped and what hasn't helped, flattening the curve, not flattening the curve. It's biggest where we should have done something immediately with people in assisted um, living, communal living situations, because that's where the high death rates really um, hit so hard and, and done a better job of, of and, and I speak medically here, but identification of the high risk factors. And then those people should have been the ones to make the choice to stay home mask up and all that. And the rest of us, I think, probably could have safely gone about most of our life. We, we, we should say that you are a registered nurse, maybe not a public health expert. Not uh, a public expert, health expert, but, but I am still, a registered nurse. But you yeah. are a registered nurse, so more educated on these topics than, than, than many of us. Um, going forward, um, masks or not, there's going to be a reckoning that we have in the months and years to come about the learning losses. And the state came out with a report over the last few days uh, about just how bad they are. Um, what are we as a community, what are we going to, uh, as a, a district, what are we as a state going to do to tackle that? As a, as a nation, as a, as a universe, really, it's not just, um, it's, it's everywhere. Um, it's tragic. Um, so many students d did not thrive and, and, and actually did terribly in remote learning. But there's a small segment that's going to up and say it was great for my child. It's just not great for the majority. My own son that went away to college did not do well with remote college. Um, so I think what we've got to do is look at ways, what are proven methods to to get kids caught up. We can't just, can't just take a slow time here. We have to get back to where we were. I'm hearing from a lot of people that kids are starting to settle in and things are, we feel like we're gonna improve a lot in the second semester, but it's just gonna take it's going to take hard work by everybody, including the kids, the families, and the staff, to get kids back where they were. And, and that means community support, too, because their kids, when they're outside of school, need to be in learning-rich environments as well. Um, hypothetical worst-case scenario here. I know I spoke to Raynard Washington a couple weeks ago. Uh, he says we should expect new variants. We should expect new developments in this. What is your message to parents in the community? Uh, let's say another variant rears its ugly head. Uh, what is your firm stance going forward? I truly think that those that are at high risk need to protect themselves if they choose to wear a mask. I think that's great. I really do not see, based on the, the language that I'm seeing coming out from people, that we would go into a mask mandate again, um, although everything's, I guess, anything's possible. I would just tell people to be vigilant, to, to do the things you need to do to improve your health and reduce your risk factors. You know, start exercising more, get your blood pressure under control, get your diabetes under control. All those things do contribute. And, and we as a public need to improve our public health. That would reduce our risk to these kind of issues. Rhonda Cheek joining us now from a parking lot as she has a patient waiting for us inside. <laughs> we do not want to keep that patient waiting any longer. Uh, Rhonda, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you. I'm heading in right now. Bye-bye. All, right. All right. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Joining us now, CMS teacher and advocate as well, Justin Parmenter. Justin, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. 
Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, you, you've said recently th that um, a lot of CMS teachers, at least the ones you've spoken to, um, the ones who are part of the Educators Association, don't want this mask mandate lifted at this point. Um, that's accurate. Yeah, the, the the polling that we've done of our members shows uh, a large majority of people don't feel this is the right time to make masks optional in our schools. And it, I struggle because on this show for the last two years, um, I, I have uh, gotten criticized from people on both sides of the aisle um, because I, being a, a novice in such topics as public health, I have deferred to public health people, whether it's Anthony Fauci or whether it, it's Gibby Harris or Raynard Washington here locally. And, and if they are now saying, as our, our current health director has said, hey, I, I think it's okay now to lift some of these mask mandates, not only uh, broadly across the community, but also at schools. I, as the host of Flashpoint, have trouble <laughs> arguing with him because I have deferred to these people the entire time, no matter who's been criticizing them. So why, if they're saying this at this point, why, why is this not the time? Well, I mean, it's a great question. And, um, you know, I can't speak for anyone else but myself, um, but, um, you know, I will say that I think part of the issue that with people's comfort level is just how how much and how rapidly the guidance is changing. And, you know, obviously I'm an English teacher. I also have to defer to people with um, with backgrounds in epidemiology um, and and follow the best guidance. Um, but, you know, if you if you if you think about the fact that just a month ago, we were at the one of the worst points in this pandemic with news reports coming out about how, you know, these cloth masks are useless. We all need N95s. Um, the hospitals are all full. Like the, the, the spike of people becoming infected with COVID was was terrifying. And in our classrooms, you know, we were seeing huge chunks of our populations of students who were um, getting infected, a lot of staff infected. And this is just a month ago. So to go from from that from that point to now saying okay everybody it's time to get back to normal let's all take our masks off um without some trepidation on the part of staff members who are surrounded by hundreds of people every single day um i don't think it's realistic to expect people to shift their feelings that rapidly and so you know yes we need to follow um the the guidance of the people who are best positioned to understand this pandemic but I think at the same time, we need to have a little empathy and understanding for those who are charged with implementing our policies and who are the ones who are putting themselves at risk. You mentioned empathy and understanding, and um, that's not something that always translates well to a 30-minute you know, political show on a Sunday morning. But, but, but it does strike me that we have been missing the last couple of years, especially in this mass debate um, at schools, um, a good faith effort from some sides, not all sides, to try to understand where the other people are coming from. And you've seen this and you've seen parents get just irate at school board meetings across the country, not only on this issue, but issues of uh, as like CRT and other things, which I don't want to talk about. But uh, and, and I've seen teachers get equally frustrated and be second guessed. How did this happen? This is I don't feel like this is the way it used to be. And, and I feel I feel like there was a, a good faith effort back and forth between teachers and members of the community uh, about bringing kids up in the best possible way. And now it seems like people, the different parties are second guessing each other and questioning each other's motives. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I don't think we're in a good place right now in terms of relationships between, you know, the various players, I guess, in the, in the kind of uh, educational um, landscape. Um, you know, it, it feels to me like at the beginning of the pandemic, we had this very brief moment of time where there was mutual understanding and respect. You know, we had people saying, wow, I can't believe how hard this thing is when folks were trying to, you know, transition to helping their children learn at home. Um, there was this sort of moment of intense respect and admiration for educators, and, and then it was gone, you know, and in the summer of 2020, we had this sort of battle over, you know, should we be in person? Is it safe? And then, of course, you know, the other issues coming up with uh, charges of indoctrination and efforts to ban books and all that kind of thing. So we're, we're definitely not in a good place right now. Um, and I think, you know, we need to get back to a, a, a place of mutual respect and understanding and trying to be able to um, listen to people with differing points of view, and, and most of all, to be empathetic and understanding. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, we've had North Carolina educators die of COVID. We've had students die of COVID. This, this virus has killed almost a million people in our country. It's serious and it's not a joke. And so for, for those who are every day, you know, who are going into a high risk um, setting, and trying to grapple with how do we handle that risk? How do we do what's right for our own families? You know, how do we do what's right for our students? I mean, it, you know, it's it's complicated and it, it certainly doesn't help, um, you know, when people are um, disrespectful to each other, when people are spreading conspiracy theories. And, and so I'm, I'm hopeful that, that as, you know, hopefully we are really at the sort of transition between pandemic and epidemic. And, and hopefully as we ease out of this thing, um, we can get back to a a better place. What do you expect your Monday will look like when at that point at CMS schools across this county, um, masks will be optional? That's the great unknown. That's the great unknown. And you know, there there are so many different factors and I've, I've played through this in my mind too and just, just wondered um, what it's gonna look like. Um, you know, children are, I think children of all ages are, are intensely um, susceptible to peer pressure and I don't know how, what direction that is going to go. So, um, you know, I'm just going to cross my fingers and, and hope for the best. Do you expect any sort of show of protest by uh, any sort by the Teachers Association, Educators Association? Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I think everyone is exhausted right now, and I think it's kind of a day-at-a-time approach to, to this whole situation. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to see what happens on Monday morning. Uh, and with that, um, we'll, we'll end the interview because I think that might be the most accurate. So the, the thing that's been said on Flashpoint, everybody's just exhausted at this point. Um, and, I, and, yeah, I think that, right. and I think that's very true. All right, Justin Parmenter, uh, CMS teacher. Justin, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. The city of Charlotte made a decision at the beginning of the millennium that is still affecting some Charlotteans 22 years later. The move has several homeowners mounting a not in my backyard campaign as they want to keep an unexpected new neighbor out. One issue, it's all taking place just outside the city limits. As WCNC Charlotte's Nate Morbido learned, speaking up now is the only thing that can prevent the same thing from happening on your street in the future. The Steel Creek Volunteer Fire Department wants to build the new station not far from here on a quiet neighborhood road. And a misclassification by the city of Charlotte two decades ago is the only reason they can. In the shadow of the city, David Hannes enjoys the country life. It's just nice and peaceful. 
just off Woody Point Road. No matter what happens around us, this road hasn't changed. A dead-end two-lane street he's called home for the last 40 years. But seasons change. At the least, it's just a stupid mistake that nobody wants to admit to. And it sounds like we'll have additional noise. Neither he will have additional congestion, nor his neighborhood will stay silent. <laughs> the Steel Creek Volunteer Fire Department wants to greatly reduce response times. So firefighters plan on relocating this fire station to Woody Point Road. They just surveyed the property within the last couple of days. On property the VFD bought last year. But Hannes, who lives just minutes away from a city fire station, couldn't care less about the added protection. This is just not the right place to put it. No matter his opinion, the department's within its rights to build here. But only because, in hindsight, the city classified the road improperly. Woody Point Road is not in Charlotte, but since it's so close to the city limits, it's remained under Charlotte's authority, considered an extraterritorial jurisdiction, likely to become developed and connected one day or so planners thought. Instead of designating it a residential local street, which it clearly still is today, they labeled the road a minor collector more than 20 years ago. That label is for a street that connects to other roads. Charlotte's ordinance prohibits government buildings on residential local streets, but not collectors. Planning's not a perfect science. Sam Spencer is the former chair of the Charlotte Mecklenburg Planning Commission. We can't predict exactly where the market's going to go. We can't predict exactly where people are going to live. The outgoing commission member says even the best planners are at the mercy of outside forces. But he believes there's a real lesson here. There's no excuse not to be engaged. People should voice their concerns on the front end. And the city needs to properly engage the public then too. Something he says Charlotte's improved upon in recent years. After all, it's decisions like the one now impacting Woody Point that can create problems down the road. If you get your input in there, you know, you might not stop a project from happening, but almost always you're gonna make it better and you're gonna get it closer to what you want. We were supposed to be notified. I never got a notice. Hannes says the city didn't involve him two decades ago, but is trying now in response to his questions. The reason? Charlotte is updating its street maps, set for council approval this summer, and the first draft no longer classifies Woody Point Road as a collector street. Too little, too late for neighbors of the future firehouse. The issues with the city of Charlotte and, and, and the position they put us in. The city and its mighty shadow. You can see where the trees have been hit by beaver. Now overtaking the beavers as David Hannes's biggest pest. That homeowner has since sent this letter to the Charlotte City Council saying he and others' lives will be harmed if the fire station is built on their street. Nate Morabito, WCNC Charlotte. So you got to be involved, folks. The city maintains the appropriate time to reevaluate designations for all streets, including Woody Point Road, is through the streets map public adoption process. You can see how Charlotte labels all of its roads and how you can speak up on the WCNC app. More Flashpoint after this. On the national stage this week, Supreme Court Justice, uh, Supreme Court nominee, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson made the rounds on Capitol Hill. She met with several lawmakers, including Senators Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell. Their meetings give them an opportunity to chat with her about her experiences and qualifications before the confirmation hearings. That starts on the 21st of this month. If confirmed, Ketanji Brown-Jackson would become just the sixth woman and the first black woman to serve on the nation's highest court. After she was nominated, I posted this on social media. 
When Donald Trump appointed Amy Coney Barrett to the U.S. Supreme Court, I posted the news here, writing, back on September 26, 2020, working moms are the backbone of America. They deserve more voices in power. Coney Barrett was going to be the first mom of young school-age kids there at the court. Many of my liberal followers at the time were not happy with me. Well, now news of Supreme Court nominee of Ketanji Brown-Jackson, it's the same sort of thing. It's important to have these intelligent, qualified judges, regardless of their political beliefs, and representation really matters. It's one of the most uh, important, uh, powerful places in the country. We need to make sure that we have people that look and sound like everybody from all sorts of backgrounds, no matter their political beliefs, up on that court. I stand by that statement today. Come interact with me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, wherever you want to meet me. If there's something you'd like for us to talk about on Flashpoint, let us know. And always, do not forget, subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next week. Have a great week, everybody.